Well, thank you. My name's Eric Barton, and I get to pastor around here, and I want to add my welcome and greeting to that, which has already been spoken by Mike, the scripture reading that was given to us by Ashton. I want to thank Chris and this team for leading us in worship, for not obscuring the view of our God as they lead us to the throne of God's grace with confidence. And as I look here in this room, and as I think about what all is happening in your home, or perhaps while you're driving, maybe you're on the road, on vacation, or you're just uh, literally driving around right now, I want to say welcome. It is good for us to be together. In some sense, either in close physical proximity or digitally, it is good to be together. Now, whether we know or feel that or not, with all due respect, is sort of irrelevant and immaterial. Some of you, like I have the tendency to do, will leave this place this morning or you'll log off this morning and you'll wonder to yourself, I wonder how the service was. How was the service? What did you think of the service? Was it a good service? Was it a bad service? The reality is no human being has any idea. Do you know that? This is about the new covenant community of the Spirit gathering together to declare his excellencies. And only he knows how that was conveyed. Only he, therefore, knows how that was received. So I want to just let the pressure out of the room and say, don't worry about how the rest of this morning goes. God's got this. And so keeping that in mind, I want to quote that which has been said a lot lately, and it goes something like this. I'm going to start off by saying, um, not throwing away my shot, not throwing away my shot. I'll stop there because it gets a little blue pretty quickly. Given all that's going on in our world, what if I had one shot to talk about the church, what's happening in that 2020 thing that we're all experiencing. I was reflecting back on when several months ago I gathered with my family as the clock counted down and at midnight we hugged and kissed and I said, happy new year. Well, I was a liar. <laughs> what, what a crazy thing. I think about people that like we interviewed who were going to work downstairs and we would interview potential baristas. And we say, where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> Back in 2015, none of them were right. Well, I suspect there's going to be a pandemic and there's going to be all sorts of political and cultural tensions. And everyone's going to be about this far from a complete grand mall freak out. That's what I think I'm going to be in five years. So what in the world are we supposed to be and do? What's the church's response and if you've had any leisure time lately, which you all have, you've probably felt the draw towards social media, which is always categorically a bad idea. Unless you just have some insatiable candy crush fix, getting on social media, Instagram and Facebook is a terrible venue to get your information. And if you have gone on some of those dispensers of ideology, then you've probably heard all sorts of different thoughts and notions about what the church is to be and to do. Well, I want to remind you, the church is the new covenant community of the spirit. That's the biblical theological response of what the church is. And then very, very practically, 
What is the church to be about? It's our big idea for the morning. I'm going to share this with you from our passage here in just a moment. But the big idea for our morning, not throwing away my shot, is this. Church is where the transformed are transformed. As the British say, full stop. Church is where the transformed are transformed. And everything else can and must flow from there. Any agenda that we try to affix or attach or accessorize to the calling of the bride of Christ is superfluous and will fall away. Church is where the transformed are transformed. And when that happens, all sorts of marvelous, incredible, wonderful, transformative things will occur. Not thrown away my shot and my one shot as I've been led again and again to Holy Scripture is not surprisingly in the book of Philippians. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you have a Bible, either digitally or in hard copy, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're just going to spend about four verses this morning in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole passage. We're going to unpack it very efficiently, and then we'll be done. My hope is that by the time all of us walk out of here or log off from wherever we're watching, that we will be blessed, that we will be carriers of perhaps a a little more volume of truth than when we began this morning. And that we will love our Jesus all the more. So Philippians chapter three, I'm just gonna begin reading in uh, verse 17 through the end of the chapter. Philippians chapter three, beginning in verse 17. The apostle Paul writes, brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is God's word. Now, the observant amongst you will notice that, hey, that guy is preaching from Philippians again. Yeah, I am. I kind of can't help it. I just sort of get lost and stuck in Philippians. I remember decades ago hearing an interview from John Piper. And he said that when his mind goes on idle, he has trained his mind when it's just at ease in relaxation mode, his mind on idle just sounds like Isaiah 43. Wow, that's so convicting. Because if any of you have spent any time with me at all, you know that my mind on idle goes like this. Nachos, 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 nachos. And so many years ago, I began to think, what if I could make my mind on idle actually be the mind of Christ? So I began to process through and think through and study through and even memorize the book of Philippians. And so I know that it's been said, when your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, I'm gonna tell you biblically, it's not the only tool, but Philippians is my hammer. And it is amazing how frequently 
how persistently God will bring Philippians up, out, and through me as I look at what all is going on in our world. Paul's writing to what I think is his favorite little church. Very briefly, you might remember how this church even starts. Accidentally on the backswing, Paul didn't even want to go to Europe, but the church at Philippi is the first church in Western civilization, started by Lydia, a wealthy fashionista, a demon-possessed slave girl who was literally possessed by the spirit of the python and a suicidal civil servant, the Roman jailer who was trying to kill himself after an earthquake. With these three people, Paul plants the first church in Western civilization. He stays with them maybe eight days, he leaves. Immediately they send him a financial gift to support his ministry on his second missionary journey. Less than a week later, they send him a second gift of finances. And so Paul, now sitting in house arrest in Rome, chained to a centurion, chained to a Roman guard, writes them this little four-chapter thank you note. The first chapter is all about living lives worthy of the gospel. Now that alone ought to convict all of us As I think about the last 72 hours, as I think about the last 144 hours, have I intentionally lived a life worthy of the gospel, the good news, the great story, the awesome announcement of what God has done, past tense, in Christ to redeem man to himself and to one another? Have I lived a life worthy of the gospel? No, that's okay. There's grace for that too, but we ever increasingly want to be reminded that we are to live lives worthy of the gospel. Chapter two, Paul says, your thinking, your mindset, your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus. You think Jesus's thoughts after him. You feel Jesus's feelings after him. You look at the world. You love the world like Jesus would. And then we get to chapter three. And Paul talks all about justification in the early part of the chapter. Justification where God finds us guilty, but declares us righteous. And that's a transformation. It happens at a point in the past. Transformation, justification. He finds us guilty. He declares us righteous. We're actually not that different, but God chooses to see us differently. And that's all the difference in the world. And so now we come to the middle of chapter three, where the transformed are transformed. Paul will transition now into sanctification, and here he's going to pivot in verse 17, and he's going to call them brothers, Adelphoi. This apostle who planted this church is going to get right down at their level, shoulder to shoulder, and he's going to call them brothers. And Paul says something astonishing. We're going to walk through this just very briefly. Chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. Wow. Sumimitai in the Greek. Join in mimicking me. The New English translation says, join with me in imitating Christ. Okay, absolutely. We're gonna break down this little four passage section of Philippians 3 with the following outline. I'm kind of proud of it because, well, you know, it's alliterative. The first thing I want us to see in verse 17 is the example. If church is where the transformed are transformed, we're gonna need three E's. The first is the example. Paul says, you wanna know how Jesus would live his life if he was living it through somebody? You look at me. The example. And not only that, he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Who is he talking about us? He doesn't have a mouse in his pocket. He's talking about Epaphras. We'll find out later at the end of the book. And Timothy, you follow their example. Those people who have said, 
I'm not going to always get it right, but I am to the best that I can diligently surrendered and submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit as a part of the new covenant community of the Spirit, I'm going to live my life as though Jesus was living it through me because he is. You wanna know what Jesus would do? Look here. Wow. Where are the people in your sphere of influence that would say that? You wanna know what Jesus would think about what's going on today? You look at me. You want to know how Jesus would feel about what's going on in the world? You look at me. We call them in this context elders. Guys like Mark Alderson, guys like Ken Comerfield, guys like Tom Ramey, guys like Dan George and Steve Pinkston, guys like Doug Coltman, and I could go on. I'm forgetting a few. It's all right. There's grace for that too. Those are the guys who have said, it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging, but I'm going to mimic Christ. And when I don't, I'm going to say so. I'm going to confess and receive mercy because I am forgiven. Where are those people, those, those women who are such character of Christ kind of people, the Stephanie Mazingos, the Jana Jamesons, where are they? That the younger adults and our children can look at them and go, that's the example. Because see, that's what church is all about. A bunch of examples. Because church is where the transformed are transformed. My sons, and this moves me to deep emotion, my sons know there are a bunch of older men in this church, yes, even older than me, some significantly so older than me, that they can look to as models of integrity and character. My sons can look at these guys and go, those guys love Jesus even to the point of death. Just this last Sunday, my youngest son had the opportunity to be mentored by an older guy in this church. Some of you may know and love Asher Blair. Asher took my son Joshua to Faulkner Park, one of our city parks here, and they were working on maintaining the bike trails so that other people could have a more enjoyable bike ride. And Asher gave Joshua, all sorts of teachings and learning that day, how to, how to work hard with tools, how to think through, hey, this is gonna bless our community, all sorts of things. Taught him how to do some different riding techniques, how to shift his balance, how to stay on the bicycle really, really carefully. Asher even gave Joshua a very real world example of how to ride a bike. Can, do, do we have that video? Can we roll that by any chance? Can we wanna show some? Yeah, oh, there's Joshua filming Asher. Here he comes. This is what you do. Oh, oh no, that would be a facial. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> See, you gotta have men in the church who are willing to lead with their chin, in a sense. Now, not everybody has to put their face on the root of an oak tree and crack their ribs. Not everybody has to do that. But the church is where the transformed are transformed. And I'm actually thankful for Asher's investment of time, energy, and scar tissue into the education and equipping of my son. Churches where the transformed are transformed, and that requires an example. Keep your eyes, he says, on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So again, what's the church doing? What is the church supposed to be about? Let me tell you. 
raising up those who will be, like Paul says, examples for the rest of the faith community and the civic community to keep their eyes on. Now, I want you to know something very interesting about Philippians 3 here. There's no gray. There's no middle ground. Paul says you're either living as or you have the ambition of living as an example or something else. Verse 18 and 19, you can write there in the margin of your Bible, the enemy. So in verse 17, we have the example, that's good, or we have, verses 18 and 19, the enemy. Paul says, for many of whom I have often told you and will now tell you even with tears. This is the only place in all of Paul's 13 epistles that he talks about crying. So you know this must be significant. He's sitting in house arrest in Rome, writing this note to the church at Philippi, and he's writing and he's weeping because it is this big of a deal. Please keep in mind, he is writing to the church. Paul understands that even in his favorite little church in Philippi, the first church in Western civilization, there are people who are living as examples and there are also those who are living as enemies. But let me break that down because it's very significant. Many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's not mincing words here. And remember, this is under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. There are those who are examples of the life of Christ. And then there are those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Why does Paul say it that way? Not enemies of Christ, enemies of the cross of Christ. Because the cross is the intentional symbol of thus. Come and die. And there are those in the church, at least in Paul's day, who would say, no, we can't have that language. The church is supposed to be about that agenda or that program or that this or that other. No, the cross of Christ is the thing. Why? Because the cross is the symbol that proclaims, that beckons and invites, come and die. Now, when I say come and die, I don't mean come experience physical death. We must understand that in Scripture, and particularly in Paul's writings, death always, always, every time, always, 100% of the time, means separation. Death does not mean the ceasing of existence. Death means separation. There's three kinds of death in your Bible. There's physical death, where the body and the soul separate. That's physical death. There's spiritual death, where an individual human being is forever separate from eternal God, that's very bad. And then there is death to self, where we are separated from that which we used to be. And we are ever increasingly transformed. There's physical death, there's spiritual death, there's death to self. Paul will always call for death to self. He does not mean suicide. That's silly. It's not biblical. But he does mean separation from that which used to dominate and rule us. And the cross says, come and die. That which used to be you, you put off. You put off. You put off. And the cross says, come and die. Am I being repeated, repetitive enough? Can I also be a little bit redundant? Can I also say the same thing again? The cross says, come and die. And there are those in the church who will live as enemies of the cross to say, it's not about you coming and die and putting that desire, that feeling factory off. It's about you pursuing that program or that, that whatever. Paul says, no, those people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Strong language. 
He makes no apology. Verse 19, their end is destruction. That is wide road living. Pursuing anything else that you think I'm just gonna try to bolster and boost my life with a little bit of Jesus, your end is destruction. You've missed entirely the call to come and die, not physically, not spiritually, to self. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. What does that mean? It means they're driven by appetites and feelings foremost. Now, again, that's super convicting because in my house, we have these things called mirrors. Nachos, nachos, nachos. Gadgetry, gadgetry, gadgetry. I love these things. And quite candidly, in the moment, I usually just make decisions based on feeling and appetite. That is not the life of the transformed. See, church is where the transformed are transformed. And for that to occur, there must be examples for us to fix our eyes on. Otherwise, we find ourselves living as enemies of the cross, merely responding to any feeling, appetite, or desire. Their God is their belly, their, their innards. The word is koilia. It's it just whatever you feel like, that's your decision-making process. And they glory in their shame. The thing they are most proud of is actually the thing that God is least proud of. That's not where we want to find ourselves. With minds set on earthly things. Brethren and sistren, if I may be so bold, not throwing away my shot. It's July, it's 2020. Things are crazy. And I can't tell you how many God-loving, Jesus-adoring, church-attending, Bible-reading, casserole-baking Christians are freaked out right now because their minds are set on earthly things. This is the Apostle Paul sitting in prison. In the Roman Empire, under Emperor Nero, who was impaling and setting Christians on fire for his garden parties. Those who have their minds set on earthly things cannot, will not be examples in the new covenant community of the spirit. I can't tell you how many conversations I have had with Christians who are mad as heck and they're not going to take it anymore. To which I respond, read the book of 1 Peter where Peter starts off writing his great grand ecclesiology to the church and he calls them elect exiles. By God's choosing, by his sovereign placement, you are exiles in a strange land. Peter's writing to the five provinces of what is today Turkey. That's not your forever home. Stop acting and behaving as though it were. And in the same way, 2,000 years later, we church are elect exiles. This is not our forever home. And by this, I mean this nation. The earth will be our forever home. Make no mistake. We will have resurrected, glorified, physical bodies, and we will live on the earth forever. You'll find me in Alberta, Canada. Come visit anytime. But when I hear Christians losing their minds, sending all the email streams, all the text threads, all the social media rants. Have, have you forgotten 
This is not our forever home. And let me be very precise. I so enjoyed working here. It'll be all right. This nation is not the promised land. We are not Israel driving out the dirty Canaanites. We're elect exiles, strangers in a strange land. And yes, we are to be a city on a hill whose light is not hidden, but of course. But think rightly. Those who live their lives in every context, every sphere of influence, as though Jesus was living his life through them because he is. What's needed more than anything else in our world right now is not a vaccine nor a cure. It's not an election to go the way we want or don't want. It's not for there to be complete racial harmony or not. What? No, 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 no. It is millions and millions of so-called Christians, little Christs, who diligently, day by day, moment by moment, live their lives as though Jesus was living it through them because that's God's plan for the world. Now, you and I, for that to be the case, well, we need transformation. That's okay. God's got this because the church is where the transformed are transformed. And we're told how the story ends. We need examples or we are enemies so concerned about feelings, appetites, desires, earthly things, but our Bibles read us more than we read them. The Apostle Paul in the inspiration of the Spirit knows precisely what we need. It's our third and final E. It's in verse 20 and 21. It is the expectation. We've had the example We've seen what it is to be an enemy of the cross of Christ. Now please look at the expectation. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Your passport is gold. I'm yelling, I apologize, not so much. Your passport is gold. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that just sounds like really nice Jesus language and it is, but we have to understand that in the city of Philippi. It was a, an official legal Roman colony. Years earlier before Paul writes this, there was a civil war. Antony versus Claudius and all the, I mean, versus uh, Brutus and Cassius and Octavius with, with Antony. And Philippi sided with the right team and they won. As a reward, Octavian and Antony give Philippi status as Roman colony. It's like you're living in Rome. It just happens to be in Macedonia. So their taxes were waived. <laughs> just imagine their taxes were waived. And there was this enormous statue erected in the city of Philippi. I know statues are sort of in the news lately. So stick with this. There was a statue erected in the city of Philippi as they received the status of Roman colony. And it said, Caesar is Lord. We are Rome we eagerly await our Savior from there. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Your citizenship is not Roman. Your citizenship is not even Philippian. Your citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly anticipate and await our Savior from there, not from Rome. That guy happens to be burning your brothers and sisters. Our Savior, your citizenship. Think rightly, 
feel deeply. What is this expectation? It's Jesus, and look what he's going to do. This Jesus who will transform. See, we have been transformed. We are being transformed. We will be transformed. Praise be to God, this ain't it. If this is as good as it ever gets, or whatever it was 20 years ago, oh, that's very bad news. And it's not going to get any better. But this Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Oh, sumorphon. We will be like his form, his frame, his, his, his stuff. It'll be like his, never, never God, but like him, a perfect, sinless, resurrected body. Like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. How much power will it take to remake this mess into that that's like the Messiah? Oh, just all the power that exists in the cosmos. But good news, he has it. See, the church is where the transformed are transformed and who eagerly expect being transformed. This world is not our home. I don't know what's going to happen in November. Increasingly, I don't care. Oh, don't get me wrong. It matters. But whatever the news broadcast declares late that night, it will not transform a single soul. Not a one. Not a one. In the interim, we want to be busily about being examples and not enemies always living with that expectation. And did you hear it? Ashton read it for us in Revelation 4. That imagery. I have to ask you, 21st century Western civilization denizen, what is Revelation 4 going to feel like? Man, I can only imagine. And we are intended to. Because a whole bunch of people who are eagerly anticipating and expecting that we'll live as examples and not as enemies. So really, I just have one super simple single point of application this morning. As you're thinking through what all's going on this summer all over the world, all over our nation, in our community, and all the stresses, all the temptations, because here's what I know about people, because I am one. The more freaked out we get, the more fatigued we get, the more prone we are to fall. Great old football coach Jimmy Johnson said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. The more fragile and freaked out and fatigued we get, the more we are likely to fall. So as you go through this week, this day, this month, even the rest of this year, I'm gonna challenge you to have something that you can just repeat almost liturgically. It's our application. It goes like this. That's not who I am. I am who I will become. As you begin to be tempted by food, as you begin to be tempted by flickering pixels on a screen, that's not who I am. 
I am who I will become. Do you see what Paul said there at the end of this passage of chapter three? That's not who I am. I am who I will become. I am tempted with this experience, with this relational impropriety. Wait, that's not who I am. I am who I will become. And ever increasingly, you and I will practice, as Mike said, his presence. And we will participate in the transformation that God has for us. Because the church is where the transformed are transformed. That's not who I am. I am who I will become. That's not what Mark Alderson would do. By God, that is not how Ken Comerfeld would handle this situation. My God, that is not how Dan George or Tom Ramey would handle this temptation that I'm facing right now. That's not who I am. I am who I will become. Do you see what Paul promises? He will transform your lowly body into his likeness already and not yet. Not throwing away my shot. My prayer all this week is that we, his people, would stop shaking our fist. We would stop forgetting that this is not the promised land. We are elect exiles who are to be examples so that others are transformed ever increasingly into his likeness so that Jesus gets the glory. We know that if that happens in this place and in this community, that's the transformation that our world is so desperate for. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you this morning for your word, for your spirit, and for your people. We pray, God, that you would continue to effect the change that you want for all of us. And that this place would continue to be the place where the transformed are transformed. Would you remind us by your spirit? Would you remind us by community, by our friends and family in this room and online, that when we are tempted, we can respond with, that's not who I am. I am who I will become. May we live accordingly. And God, when, not if, not just if, but when we forget and we fall. Thanks be to God that there is grace, there is mercy. Would you give us courage and conviction to confess, to agree with you? And may we receive mercy, grace, and forgiveness and start all over again. Because this brings you honor. Father, if there's anyone in this room listening online, who does not know you, who is still merely hoping for a better nation, a better world because of our efforts, would you transform them so that they can be transformed, so that they will be transformed. Have your way, God. We pray all these things in the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.